This is Unstructured. Today we are joined by Patrick McFadden of Indispensable Marketing, which is a really cool name. I imagine he's stating it's kind of important. <laughs> now, <laughs> I am the ideal um, person for him to speak to. Lately, I have spoken to more people about marketing because I freely admit I'm completely clueless. But I know a lot of people in the audience, you guys have businesses. Um, I, I know for a fact, Drew, I'm going to call you out, Drew Gleeby. You have a, a painting company. So these are tools I think we can all use, but I can, I don't really understand marketing very well. Now, from what I understand, though, Patrick, you've been kind of a hustler since, uh, what, 16 years old, something like that? Oh, yeah. I was just... True salesman. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I guess you started your illustrious career by reselling candy from Sam's Club. Yeah, I actually, um, <laughs> it was pretty funny. I remember the first day uh, we ended up getting a membership to Sam's Club and I walked in there and I couldn't believe that there was so much of assortment of candy in one box. And I just said, wow, I could sell this. And uh, my little brother is like, no, we can eat it. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> distribution over consumption. And um, I remember my mother saying, if you sell this, I'm not buying it ever again. If you, you don't make any money, it's on you. And so that's kind of been my calling card in my career is always figuring out the angle. I always call it the white space. You know, where is that? that opportunity that probably is missed by somebody, but it's still there in a little niche to, to end up making money. And so um, it turned out pretty well because we were the only, we were the first family around the neighborhood to have it. And so that gave me the the lead way to go ahead and make as much money as I could as almost a first to market. <laughs> what I like too, though, is there's even more to the story because you picked up a secondary source of income by responding to a problem you had created. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> um, the most sales happened on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And one of the problems was that um, my friends in the neighborhood would just throw the trash on the ground. And so I, I remember getting the notice from the property management company. And I'm coming home and I saw this letter that just said, we don't know where the abundance of trash is coming from. But it definitely needs to stop. And they even mentioned that they noticed that it increased over the weekends, obviously, because we're out of school. So I have more time to sell. Um, mm. And so I just knocked on their door on a I think it was a Friday. And I just said, hey, what if you just paid me to pick up the trash? And they said, sure. So then I would just hire my friends to pick it up and then they would reinvest the money back into buying the candy from. <laughs> and so it's just, it's this neat little system where they were just paying to pick up the problem as well as start the problem. <laughs> I, I love how you Tom Sawyer did. <laughs> you didn't even do it. You were the cause of it. And then you um, subcontracted out the solution. Yeah. Then, some crafty hustling there. Okay, Actually, so now, go on. Uh, I was going to say the fact you even said that I outsource the um, the work of it is pretty funny of how my company's constructed. But uh, go ahead, well, please share. Oh well, it's funny that for you saying that I was able to make the correlation that my company is set up where we develop the plan and the strategy, and but we outsource and manage all the implementation. So it's still kind of the same almost where doing the development of the marketing plan and the strategy, we're coming up with all this stuff, but then it has to be done. <laughs> and so we manage and orchestrate the implementation of the plan and strategy by bringing in those resources uh, to help execute. <laughs> okay. So I found a pattern that you established at 16. <laughs> yes. Well, that's cool. Now, from what I understand, you went on to study some engineering and then got involved in UBID. Is that one of those micro auction sites or whatever? Yeah. So what was fascinating, um, you know, being young at that time, I just knew I had a work ethic 
And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was fortunate enough to learn a, a trade and a skill uh, while I was in school. It was called CAD, Computer Aided Drafting Design. Mm-hmm. And um, immediately went into the workforce and had companies wanting to hire my skill set. And so while I'm on this path, I remember I'm, all, I'm selling um, prepaid legal plans at that time. And I'm also looking at other stuff that I could do. And I walk past this guy's desk and I see this site called UBID. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, oh, well, I'm starting my uh, stereo audio business and I'm buying this stuff from this auction site for like 10 bucks. And then I'm, I was like, what? It's called UBID. So I went back to my desk and I look it up. And I'm like, this is during the, M- I don't know if you remember the whole MP3 craze movement. <laughs> when it, so this is during that time. And I'm like, I could buy iPad MP3 players for $10. Hmm. And I'm like, and sell them for 50 and 60 and 80. I was like, oh, well, this hold on. So I ended up uh, getting into almost a little electronics resale business where I say for the first six months, because UBID was so new, I was able to capitalize off of it. But then the market sped up and it started to take four hours to get a $10 product. Mm. At that point, I, it, the, just, it wasn't worth it at that point. But for the first six months, I made a killing um, going onto those auction sites, buying TVs, electronics, uh, you pretty much name it. I was getting it off UBID and then turning it around. And then I was smart enough too to um, actually, I actually got a system down where I had um, people on like a waiting list of what they wanted. So people would mm. say, hey, this is what I want. And so I would ask for a down payment. You pre-sell <laughs> <And> it. <laughs> absolutely. It got real. I was like, what? People are seeking me out and asking me, hey, can you get this? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need a down payment for that. And it's oh, just. <laughs> and let me guess, the down payment was about as much as it was out of your pocket. You got it. Yep. It could have been $20, even though it cost $10 to get or $5 to get. I just needed something. <laughs> wow. That, that is some crafty stuff. Now that's interesting. And I wanted to cover your finding angles because that seems to be, uh, you said earlier, uh, you like to find white space. Yeah. Now, is that kind of like the blue sky theory or or something of that sort where, you know, find something where there's room to move versus inserting yourself in a market that's cluttered. Yeah. And really I think it's more about um, finding what it is that even though the market's crowded, it's an untapped opportunity that's rarely recognized or it's recognized, but not being communicated about. Uh, I'll give you a real quick example. So, uh, we were working on the strategy for this company out of Maryland. They um, are a piece called PLC, so a programmic logic controller. Mm-hmm. They, it's a small little device that goes into all these manufacturing plants, jails, um, uh, facilities, mm-hmm. warehouses. And it, this little thing runs the whole manufacturing system. It keeps the thing, it keeps things moving. Wow. And when we were doing the research and the strategy all the competitors communicate, we can get to you fast because if, if this little device battery goes out, everything's on wait. So you got the employees now have to do overtime. They're paying the, they're paying the workers just to sit there and stand. All this stuff is causing all this abundance of money piling up because this device has gone down. So in the market, hmm everybody's communicating, getting there fast. We can get there with a two hour response time, a one hour response time, under 24 hours. We get there, get there, get there. And I'm like, that's everybody's saying that. And so when we're able to talk to their clients, the white space is not your response time, it's your repair time. They said that what made our client different is not that they got there fast, but they fixed it faster than most companies. Because Uh. even though... So that's the white space, right? Because everybody's saying we can get there, get there. But getting there isn't the problem. Fixing it still is the problem when you get there. Gotcha. And and so for our client, we changed the conversation, which is now, look, we know everybody says we can get there. Let us tell you about how we are going to address what we're going to do to fix the problem fast. 
And now you're speaking a different language. Now that's the white space. That's the untapped uh, opportunity. And that's what they really want to hear is you're going to get this fixed and get my people back working. So I don't have to do a lot of overtime and all the other things that go into that. (laughs) Cool. So now, because I don't completely understand everything, the marketing then would be the message that you are sending as the company. Is that a a fair analogy? So. In this case, you're saying our message is we fix our stuff quick. Correct. So that means you now focus in on instead of promoting uh, fast response times, you promote fast repair times. So now on the website, you'll say we we you know we fix it faster than most. Uh, then you create a fix it fast button on your website, and you figure out mm-hmm. different ways and different variations whether visually or verbally to communicate that you're the company that has faster repair times. And, okay. And the employees too have yep. the, we're fix it fasters or whatever attitude. Um, I, I I'm trying to get my head around it because I think there's a problem that um, marketing and ads seem to be correlated as the same, but I'm getting the impression that marketing is a much bigger image. You got it. Yep. So Basically, let's go with that example we I just explained where the repair times are faster. So what we would do is say, okay, advertising should communicate this visually because advertising is nothing but the most visible, visible form of marketing. And so we would say, okay, what does it look like to visually explain that we have faster repair times. And then where do we need to promote that message? Because it's going to look different depending on the medium. If we're using TV, maybe we need a video of getting there fast, uh, fixing it, and then shaking the hands at the end, like, and we're back up running, right? So that's visually explaining that we can get there fast. And if it's a text ad, then you just need to say faster repair times, up and going quick, da 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 and then, and then also to the marketing aspect of that is that if we're going to hone in on this faster repair time, mm-hmm. how do we address that through the whole company? So how do we get faster repair times from what do we need to invoice differently? Do we need to have our staff train on specific mm-hmm. processes? Do we need to communicate? Like, so it, it runs through the whole company. Do we need to hire differently? Because now we're on, we don't care about, people who can speed and hit the pedal. We care about people mm-hmm. who understand how to dissect the problem. And so do we right. need to, yep. So it affects everything because in order to, to achieve that promise, you may have to hire, do operations, do billing, do a lot of different things differently in order to make that good on that promise that you're communicating. See, I didn't realize that that that's fascinating that because that goes beyond marketing, which seems like the message, that's an entire infrastructure consideration or operational considerations. I, I guess that's a, a weird question then is um, who runs the company? Is it, is it <laughs> operations or is it marketing? And I, and I, I bet there's arguments. It is arguments. Um, you know, I like to say that the business goals run the company. And so what I mean is a lot of people say, I'm going to hire a marketing consultant or coach or firm because I want to grow. Mm-hmm. But that's vague because there's multiple ways to grow. You can grow through new customers. You can grow from increasing the, the, the size of your transactions with current customers. You can mm-hmm. grow through. And so there's so many ways to grow. So the question is, what does growth look like? And then once you're able to get real clear goals of we want to grow through referrals, we're looking to generate two referrals per client. Great. So now how does marketing help achieve the referral goal to increase the revenue for the business? How does sales, how does hiring, how does operations help achieve the goal of referrals? Because when you have that central business goal, all the other functions of the business should align back to that. But so you can see where the issue is, is just not having clear goals at the end of the day is where the real (laughs) clarity. It's all about clarity. Okay, that, that makes sense. So then um, to see if I interpret it correctly, then the idea of the business is whatever the goal is in marketing is just expressing that out loud. You got it to help. You got it. Basically, that's exactly what it is, because the other thing I like to say is that 
you know, we live in a world where most people go to researching something first before they, you know, do anything. I don't care what it is these days. So that means that people research on the Internet. What lives on the Internet is just purely content, whether it's in a written format or video or infographic or text like content lives on the Internet. And so what I like to say is that content is the voice of your strategy. Okay. And, And here's what I mean. If your strategy is to find homeowners who are busy who can't who do who do not have time to mow their own grass to do mm-hmm. their you know, landscaping within your content is going to speak to that type of person okay so that means you would create blog posts on how to how to hire the best landscaper without being burned you're going to create videos mm-hmm. on what to look for when you're uh, trying to get your landscape done and and then you're going to create uh, maybe an infographic on the three things you need to know when you're outsourcing your landscaping, right? So okay. all of that content is speaks to the voice of your strategy, which is who you're trying to reach. And, and so, let me guess, it takes time for the message to resonate. Correct. That that to me has to be the most difficult part because it's like you're you're planting seeds and waiting for the crop to grow. Absolutely, because it's all trust, right? I mean, nobody nobody buys anything until they first become aware of you, and then they trust you enough to buy, which is why my company's definition of marketing is getting someone who has a need to first become aware of you and then trust you enough to buy and then refer. But it's our belief that it takes a process, almost like a dating, like, a, like you're dating to get married. Right. You may go on. You may go on 300 dates before you get married, but it's the process. Right. That's the process of putting the ring on the finger. So the process of marketing is we believe it's a process approach to get someone to become aware of you and then to trust you enough to buy. And it's many elements to that where it may, you know, in my case, I may go speak. And then from speaking, somebody may say, hey, it was nice to hear you. Here's my card. You know, um, let's connect on LinkedIn. So then it's like they heard me speak. We go connect on LinkedIn. And then next thing you know, they're like, hey, I'm coming to this networking event. And somebody said you were the person I needed to meet. But then they come to another speaking engagement. Uh And then they finally reach out and say, I think I could use your help. But I'm okay with that because not only did they self-qualify, they also did enough research that we can kind of speed up the sales cycle and just get right into the point. Yep. That makes sense. It's funny. You are my second guest who used the same or use that same method. Um, SD Rand of um, Strand Consulting. That's how she built her whole company was flying around the country using them, her miles and speaking at every convention, every gathering whatever if it was 10 people in the room then she would talk so that that i find to be a very fascinating and it, it kind of makes sense because you're just getting to know them as a person like hey this is me um i'm not selling you anything i am delivering a message to you i'm giving you some training and potentially later when they're looking then they may think of you because you've already given something absolutely i believe that when you have opportunities to teach, the chance to sell always comes later. It's just the way it works. Like I was just talking to someone yesterday and they were like, you know, if I wanted to start a business in a whole new state, if you had, and they said, if, you know, if I had to start from ground zero and build a, a building consulting firm, what would I do? And I said, hands down, I would speak anywhere. One is greater than zero. I would speak at every event that I can because in those speaking, that's where you're going to pretty much generate business quickly and plant the seed of expertise, experience, trust. I get a chance to see you. It, it accomplished so much with just speaking. Um, I believe that's hands down what I would do if I was starting fresh from ground zero. Awesome. Now, I just interviewed a, another guest. He's actually um, the host of the Anti-Social Podcast. Ah. and. Um, he is kind of backed away because he found that social media, he he feels is ruining a lot of businesses and people and part of his issue. And I think it's a valid point to bring up with you too, is 
do you find in the world that everybody is pushing and asking for that sale immediately and not establishing a relationship? Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's been going on at networking events for years. Social, well, networks like LinkedIn is nothing but online networking that was usually made offline. So typically the way you act offline is the way you're going to act online with LinkedIn. So for me, in person, if you meet me at a networking event, you're like, that guy tried to help me. He listened to what my business was about. He, you know, I may say, hey, you may want to go talk to John over there. John owns a business that you two could partner. Like, that's how I am in real life. So when it goes to LinkedIn, I'm the same way. I'm looking for, hey, you may want to go speak to da-da-da-da. I'm going to mention somebody else in the comments because you two could connect. I believe it's the same way. So it's nothing that's changed. It's just, you know how they say money just showcases who you really are like money's not Mm -hmm. evil it just makes you more of what you already are that's what these social platforms do they just make if you're already generous and nice and outgoing then you're going to be the same way it just amplifies that from a one-on-one to one to many it's the same thing (laughs) well that's cool and i had a um, another previous guest who does a show all about networking Mm -hmm. and um he he said this at uh, uh, one point I thought it was really profound because I'm kind of an introvert and I'm not really great in mixed company or whatever. And so the idea of having to go in and then to sell myself and everything else, that's exhausting. But his advice was when you go to a networking event, how do you introduce yourself to somebody? And he said, hi, I'm Travis Chapel. That's it. <laughs> he said, you know, just as if you're going to a coffee house and you're standing in line and you see somebody there. Hey, I'm Eric. How you doing? Oh, you take a black. What do you do? You don't even necessarily talk about your business. Yeah. You just talk. So I have a technique that I use when I go networking. I like to just say, so <laughs> it's my belief that everyone has something going on in their world. Now, whether they want to share it or not is the question. And so when I go to networking events, I usually just say, What's going on in your world? And some people say, oh, nothing. I said, no, you got something. Did you just write a blog post? Did you go to a new event? Did you land a new client? They're like, oh, well, yeah, I did. And then they start talking because I'm mentioning stuff that can even be simple. Did you install Hmm. a new process into your business? Did you just hire a new employee? They're like, oh, well, you know what? I just, so I I lend those little seeds that then they're like, oh, this guy even cares about this. Because, you know, they want to say, I don't know, people just want Landed my biggest client da, 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 or just got the, right. I, don't, I don't care if it's small, that impacts your world. I want to hear about it. And so hmm. I think that's a different approach where people are like, oh, well, you know, I did just get an introduced or an introduction to a possible client. Well, tell me about it. How'd you end up getting that? And so I just find meaning or meaning in a lot of the little things that matter to them that they may think doesn't even, you know, want somebody else doesn't even want to hear. That's pretty cool. You're actually training them while you're doing that. Absolutely. Because they're going to ask me what's going on in my world, and I always have something going on. And so for me, it's never a problem. I'm always either speaking, meeting a prospect, speaking, you know, doing something, writing a new blog post or having conversations on a podcast. So it's never anything for me. It's more about for them that I need to know. Plus, I have this point of view. I believe I'm a buyer for my clients. And so they have problems. They have needs. There's all these solutions. I just need to be educated on what's the proper solution and who does what. And so by me wanting to take a vested interest in what you do and what makes you different allows me also to either bring you into my fold or connect you to the people who need to be connected. Because a lot of times people go to the same events and never connect because they never really talk to each other and say, Oh, you handle that one aspect of the process. That's the piece that's missing from what I'm doing. So then let's figure out. And so I'm, I'm trying to always bring value through every interaction that I have. <laughs> What's well, cool. Now, um, on that note, how do you go about marketing, say, different businesses? Um, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example because I always joke it's all about me. But how do you go about marketing a podcast versus, let's say, my friend Drew's uh, painting company? Well, for us, it always starts with strategy or diagnosis before prescription. So 
And it really comes down to what do you want to have happen as a result of the podcast? Is this an ends to a mean or is this a way to generate other? So it all depends on what you want to structure, where it's the same way with the painting company. Is, is this an ends to a mean where you're looking to sell it and you're looking to bring a family member in? And so we want to do a lot of the question and discovery process up front, you know, for the painting company. Uh, since he's been in business, we would want to interview current customers, figure out what they're doing well, what opportunities may be that exist to improve upon the experience, what would their customers Google for their uh, services and things like that. For a podcast, the real goal is distribution. And hmm. so it's strategy. Getting people to listen. Absolutely. So the strategy work is who do who are our listeners or who, or who do we want them to be? What things interest them and then where do they spend their time? And then and then you go about distributing your information there and getting them into those places where um, they're going to be able to hear it. And so a great example would be um, if you're I, I, I just love this one right here. So let's say you like the NBA. I was just talking about this the other day. If you watch the NBA finals you would have saw YouTube advertising on ABC about commercial free TV on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> so think about that. And it's like, wait a minute. A YouTube advertised on national television doing a, as a commercial to go watch commercial free TV on their platform. But, but that's where the viewers are. Correct. The same way it, when you go to a movie theater and you want to hear about other movies, that's where you go, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same process. Like, I'm going to a movie theater, so they're going to show me other movies because I'm already in that mindset. So Interesting. So the question is, is, let's translate it over to the podcast world. Who are our listeners and who else are they listening to? And then do we need to spend or do we need to find a way to collaborate or spend some couple of dollars to be an introduction on the other podcast or advertising. So you see what I'm saying? Because if I'm already mm -hmm. listening to a podcast, maybe I want to hear about other podcasts out there. I'm already going to right. the movies. Maybe I want to hear about other movies. I'm already listening to the radio. Let me listen to other songs. So it's kind of. Okay. That's one, um, one method. When I know for a fact that a lot of us podcasters are kind of doing that, they're guesting on each other's shows helping each other out. I, I believe you've been on a, a friend of mine's show, uh, Tyson Franklin. Yep. And I'm running a promo of his show on my show. That's a smart move. Now, one consideration though, and this is where I really want to get deep with somebody like you because people who listen to podcasts, listen to podcasts. And we maybe are cannibalizing ourselves because there's only so much, so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily only want to grow my audience by pulling somebody else's audience because it starts to become that. How do we reach the people who aren't listening to podcasts at all? How do we bring them in? There's a whole big ocean there. Yeah, I mean, you have to put out information in different formats. So if you're doing a podcast, you should be able to get that transcribed into many blog posts that lead back to the podcast, right? Because people are going to consume. So most people, most people, if you notice, most people stick to one medium and they get fancy. You can't be romantic about how people consume information and become aware of you. So it may be you need to get stuff transcribed that can go into a blog post. So now not only are you showing up in the audio format, you're showing up in the written word format that also helps okay. with SEO. Because you're having keywords baked into the post and stuff like that. So it's it's going to be this multifaceted approach. It's like Jay Levingston when he wrote Guerrilla Marketing, and they asked him how much did he make off of uh, how much did he make off the book, and he said, you know, a couple hundred thousand. He said, but I made millions from speaking about the book. So it's just, it's kind of the same way, you know. You put the podcast out, but you need to have different formats and variations of it. Maybe. Somebody gave you five good tips in a, in a podcast and maybe you transcribe that into an infographic that says five tips or something. So and then it leads back with a link at the bottom where you can hear the whole podcast about this. Hmm. So it's okay. it's 
it's using this using this one centralized content for a different variations basically that's all that that's what i would be doing is i would say okay my podcast transforms into blog posts which transforms into uh infographics which transform into um maybe a webinar and just figuring out the different ways to lead people back to the podcast. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, do you recommend some kind of a, a training in that? Because I, I know there are a lot of people who are like, Oh, what's a podcast? There's a lot there. Believe me, a lot of them. And Oh, I don't think I have anything I can play that with. And it's like, no, no, you have an iPhone, right? You, you got to, yeah. it's built in. There's an app right there. It's called podcast. It's purple icon. Oh, I never knew what that thing was. Yeah, I, I mean, I think by making sure that people lead back, I think people are going to, some people still do ask what podcasts are, but I think once they hit the play button, see, that's where making it easy stands out, right? So if they're on your website page and you already have the media baked in, they can just hit the play button. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow, okay, I can just listen to this from my phone or, you know, download. They can download it to their phone. I think just giving them the options. I don't think if the information is good, I don't think they're going to get hung up on whether it's considered a podcast or not. Okay. And that leads us to one other thing. And I had a long discussion with a a podcast hall of famer Mm -hmm. and this is um, some Edison statistics that came out recently and they were essentially like 68% of Americans know what a podcast is of that 68%. 40, like 40% have listened to a podcast in the past month. And then you start narrowing it down further and further. So it gets down to like a trickle of these people listen to a podcast regularly. Now, those are concerning statistics. And the, the reason why I say that is the fact that so many people have heard of it, but so many people aren't listening. I fear may be a Wayne's World type of reputation that podcasts is, am, you know, their amateur hour. Well, kind of like local access television. I mean, the cream always rises to the top. So, I mean, talent wins out at the end of the day. If you're putting in the work and you're talented, you're going to rise to the top no matter. I mean, that happens in every field. I mean, marketing is full of amateurs or people who just quit their job and said they're putting up a marketing firm. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's everywhere. Plus, you got to think about it. Uh, everything's going niche too, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when you first, if you were first to podcasting, you may have a million subscribers and it may have gone down to 500,000 because mm-hmm. now a portion of them has said, oh, I care about IT podcasting because I'm an IT professional. So mm-hmm. the main thing is just, do you have a thousand true fans? Like, do you have a thousand that people? wired article. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you have a thousand people who will buy your thirteen dollar whatever, you can make money forever. I mean, you're. I mean, so it comes down to just where do you want to be niched? What do you care about? And then you can always grow it from there. But I think we're at a point in time where you know, let's just think about it. If you start a podcast on you believe in aliens, you're probably going to have a couple thousand or a hundred people listen to it because the internet allows you to go search for whatever you believe in. I believe in aliens. You can go find it. Oh, there it is. Podcast for aliens. So, <laughs> I mean, Patrick's starting that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing about it is you can find whatever you want. And so it, with that, it doesn't shock me, those statistics. It just means that you need to own your space, whatever that is. Whatever that looks like, you just need to be the voice on that. What I'm also asking, though, is how do you overcome if you will, the stink that might be on, on the, um, product. Yeah. But like there's kind of a reputation in there and I, I blame celebrities for some of this too, and mm-hmm. because a lot of celebrities, they hear you got to start a podcast because they're huge. And then they start a podcast and it kind of sucks because they really don't care. They're not that into the form. And then people hear it and they're like, yeah, I heard the podcast. It kind of sucked. And then, of course, then they hear back from the celebrity and their people. Well, yeah, that's just the podcast. It, it, it's not the real art. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to, you know, be an advocate for the entire industry in the sense of how do you overcome a bad image? Time and putting in the work and just patience and consistency. That's it. 
I mean, you just got to keep pushing out content. There's no magic trick other than to keep doing what you're doing, putting it out, hard work, consistency. Keep. It's almost enduring the boring stuff. That it, and then you end up hitting, getting featured on there, and so getting there. Next thing you know, you're getting it's just blowing up. But you still put in the same work. It's like an opera singer. You know, you just keep and you keep practicing and keep practicing and you keep performing. It's it's basically like music. You're yeah. un, you're an unknown artist. What do you do? You do a lot of clubs. You do a lot of events. You do a lot of stuff in person until you hit that point where it's like, oh, OK, now I've gotten a little bit famous or I'm known now. But you still keep doing the work. You just it's just mm-hmm. time. That's all it is. It's time and putting in the work. It could be argued that it might be a good thing. Yeah, because I mean, if I look at it as if celebrity tried it and they think it's sucking, it doesn't work, then they're part of the 98% that it doesn't work for. And then, like, I heard this guy say something. He was like, you know, 5% of people make it or whatever. So why not just do what the 5% do? (laughs) (laughs) Right? So if the 5% stay in the game longer than most, then just already have your mind made up of I'm staying in the game longer than most because the 5%. So I always just look at it the same way is just do what the 5% do. And you just keep doing it. Like most people look at, if you were to look at my day, you'd be like, that's not being a business owner or entrepreneur, or it's not sexy to have client meetings and all and research and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. but that's the work. What you see on TV and when you see me speaking, that's all that work made up until that one moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's it's the same thing for everybody. You have to just do do it consistently over time. And if you're good, you're gonna you're the cream of the crop. You just always rise. There's a joke about that that um that an entrepreneur is someone who works sixteen hours a day so they don't have to work nine to five. <laughs> So, you know, uh, you know, we talked about that outsourcing piece and I'm, uh-huh. uh, you know, I have so many, I'll probably write a, a book one day or teach a course or something on this just because my company's built around it and it's how I end up. But truth is the business owner wakes up and says, how am I going to get all this stuff done? The uh-huh. entrepreneur wakes up and says, who's going to do all this stuff for me? And that's the... Uh-huh. That one little mindset shift difference is what makes the difference of, of everything, really. And so, you know, we, we talked about how when I was uh, 16, I said, who's going to pick up this trash? Well, it's going to be my friends. Mm-hmm. Right. That's like entrepreneurial mindset already. And hmm. if, you, if you even think about it, I started a marketing firm with no technical savvy skills at all. I don't know how to code. I don't know how to do websites. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Photoshop editor. I don't know any of that stuff. So most people say, well, why would you start a firm not knowing? Cause I was like, well, I want to specialize in the strategy and the strategic components and outsource the rest. So it's, it's sort of like me waking up one day and saying, I'm going to start a law firm. Now who I need to hire to practice law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the entrepreneurial mindset of how do I move? You know, I want to own something. But who's going to do the work versus I'm going to get up and do the work. And obviously you do it starting off, but over time the goal should be to delegate things off your plate and move that into somebody else's, whether that be a person sure. or a service or a firm or a technology. Like it doesn't just have to, most people that I think they get romantic about what the outsourcing looks like. It doesn't matter. It could be replaced by any of those things that I just said. It may be a person or it may be a firm or it may be a technology or it may be a, a service or something. So <laughs> makes sense. And a lot of the bigger podcasters all have teams. See, yeah, you know, they have a they have someone who does their booking. They have somebody else who does does the editing. They have their social media people, and then they can focus on one thing: content. Yep. And and it's easy to you know I would say you should even think about. Even if, if you, even if the uh, you're still building it, you should think about having those elements set out because then when you want to bring on a virtual assistant, and I don't know, I'm just making this up, you maybe you pay them ten bucks an hour, or you say, you know what, I need about 
Or you can do what I do sometimes and you structure the deal as an outcome. So here's are the, here are the things I need done for this month. Here's a price. Can you do it for that price? And you don't have to worry about how many mm-hmm. hours they do because you, you want a set outcome. You want set deliverables. I need you to schedule five guests, five guests a month. I need this done. I need this done. I need this done. Can you do it for 200 bucks? Sure. Great. Thank you. So, right. And so, but you're figuring out ways to move it off your plate. And also you have accountability in those deliverables. So always. Okay. That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. So I, I think I've heard that before. So you're saying while you're building, because like, obviously right now I'm, I'm small time. I have the yeah. day job. I have to do everything, but you're saying to track everything you do and organize it in a manner. So then you can at whatever point say, here you go. This is the task as Absolutely. I created. So build SOPs in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's my whole company is built off of that. So by the time we bring somebody on board to ha- to execute, it's like, we only need you to execute on this portion. Right. And it's completely changed my business model because at first I was just being new. I was hiring firms to execute on stuff like SEO. I'm paying them $750, $1,000, a month to execute. Hmm. Well, I started documenting all this stuff and I said, is there a virtual assistant that could execute on this small little portion? And they're like, oh, so you can, I can pay you $150 and have it all hmm. done instead of paying $2,000. Wow. And, and, and it's only because I documented what needs to happen. I don't need all of that. I just need this to be done for our client. Hmm. So absolutely. But in documenting all that stuff, and I still do it today. I just got back from vacation, uh, the part of my vacation, and I wrote down a list of everything that I'm currently doing that's on my list. And I said, how do I move this, this, and this off my plate to somebody? And then before I give it to them, is it documented what needs to happen to get the result that we're looking for? So it. I still do it to this day as a small business owner, still in the practice of delegation. And but it's definitely helpful to do it in the beginning, because when I brought my team on board, they were shocked. They're, Wait a minute. You have a process, actually? Yeah. Here's what. Boom, 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 boom. Now, here's where you're going to really get the kicker. I've actually been approached by other consultants to buy my process because it is documented. So nice. I, I speak. You know, I I have a goal of speaking twice a quarter, but realistically, I probably speak probably 12 to 20 times a year. Right. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to know, how do you get all these speaking engagements? And that's Mm -hmm. what they wanted to buy. I had a consultant wanted to buy my process for getting speaking engagements. (laughs) So, So because I had it documented, it was an easy sell. It was like, well, here's the proposal form. Here's the contract agreement. Here's our speaker's checklist. Uh, Here's the exact tactics that we use to generate speaking inquiries and engagements. And it's like, oh, wow. Yep, there you go. And it's a flat fee. There you go. You can buy the whole process if you want it. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So, (laughs) well, well, and check this out. What if they only wanted to buy the... um, proposal side. I still, so now I've got it all broken, broken down into components where they may just want to buy the proposal side or element of my speaking uh, hmm. process. So for you, somebody may say, you know what? I just want to buy your um, guest scheduling portion of your, your process. Can I just hmm. buy that? See what I'm saying? By breaking it down, you have, mm-hmm. so now you basically, you can make money times infinity because either you can sell the whole package or you can sell an element of what you're doing off to the side. And that's that passive income that Pat Flynn and those folks were talking about. Yep. But you're brilliant. Absolutely. But you're doing it on almost a service type side of the business, basically, because your servicing is getting the guest scheduling and all that stuff is really a service. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately yep. <laughs> it's really a workload, <laughs> but no, that's, that's awesome. And definitely something to think about. I, I, that's why I, I'm constantly pushing at different people because truthfully, none of us have all the great ideas. And, um, I, I like the Steve Jobs saying, you know, um, good artists create great artists steal. 
Yes, I love that. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons why I like um, having a lot of different clients in different industries is because all we do is pull from different industries into our other clients. And that's how we get a lot of innovation. It's just pulling from, you know what? Oh, I give you a great example. Here's what I wanted to tell you. So, you know, you, t- you mentioned your, uh, your pal who has the painting business. Mm-hmm. And you heard me mention that speaking is a great way to grow the business, right? Mm-hmm. Now, most, I just say, most people who are a painting contractor would say, speaking doesn't work for my business. And I would say, really? Well, let me show you. We have a, in here in, uh, in Richmond, we have a handyman contractor who goes to real estate offices and speaks to all their realtors at one time about how to sell mm-hmm. the home faster. Oh, wow. Hmm. So wow. don't tell me speaking doesn't uh, apply to your business is do you know how to approach it in a way that makes sense? <laughs> right. And I can already see that because um, my dad was a general contractor and he used to joke, little putty and paint make her what she ain't. And <laughs> <laughs> technically, a, a painter or a paint contractor could say, look, here, this is how you do the painting for best presentation at the maximum cost for value. I could, I could totally see that being a sellable, yep. a sellable service. So there you go, Drew. That one's for free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, what we did is actually make that happen. Um, we, it was weird. We started sending all these testimonials and our, the owner of the company, it's actually a woman owned uh, handyman company. And she kept, she kept emailing me saying, Another home sold in an hour. Another home sold in a day. Another. I said, "Wait a minute, hold on." We're, <laughs> I was like, "What are we doing? Let's dive into that." And it turns out we knew the exact colors and everything from. Oh shit. wow! We knew it all that would sell the home faster, and so we documented that, and then start going to what you know. What, what's better than saying you work with Mary? Mary is bringing us in to speak to the whole company because everybody in the firm wants to sell more homes and they want to sell it fast. And so absolutely. And then we speak and then Mary stands up and says, you know, they did work for me last week and it sold in an hour. Mm. (laughs) And you know what happens? Hey, I've been had a home on the market for three months. Maybe we need you guys to come in there and do some before listing repairs and to see what needs to be done. Okay, Mm -hmm. sure. (laughs) That's that's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. Love that. Trying to figure out the podcasting angle on that, but I'll get there. <laughs> you'll get there. It, like you'll start noticing some of the white spaces. Like I think I mentioned a couple. I don't. I'm not in your world, so I don't know how far sure. people people have gone. But just that little tip I gave you with the repurposing, with taking the audio, mm-hmm. transcribing it to uh, many blog posts, and then those many blog posts going into a ebook then that ebook can go into maybe a presentation like it's so many things uh you could do taking though you know interviewing somebody getting five nuggets change five and those five nuggets into five social media posts so now you have five things to to shoot over social media for a week promoting that single podcast it's so many things like you see what i'm saying it's just but i I do believe that that's the hard work, which, you know, it's in the promotion and the distribution of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do you create different formats to drive people back to that? And that's where I think having graphics, uh, you know, somebody gave five nuggets, you have five different graphics with those with the words on them. Then you create all those five nuggets into one infographic. And then, like, I look at stuff like Zig Ziglar, Secrets of Closing the Sale. Zig went around to speaking engagements, had them all recorded, combined all the recordings into one CD. Hmm. Now, what if you had four podcasts and you combined them to something and called it, I don't know, the secrets of marketing or the secrets of whatever? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, right? It's, hey. And then, you know, you know what's funny is somebody may say, hey, can you come speak on that? You said sure, and you just stand and they will introduce you and say, "Hey, he's interviewed some of the top marketing or some of the smartest marketing minds. Here's some of the things that he was able to take away, and he wants to share them with us today." But you know what it does, though? It gives you access to new audiences. 
Because mm-hmm. somebody's like, who's this podcaster speaking to us about marketing at this conference? Mm-hmm. And saying it's, it's playing in different ponds. Like instead of going to the podcasting conference, you're going to another conference because you've, it's just, it's so many things, but that's like how I believe the white space is and where, you know. <laughs> that's smart though. And that's something that all the podcasters can take away from. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, it's, now this has been amazing material, which I now can package and sell. Where can people find the source, Patrick? <laughs> uh, they can find me at indispensablemarketing.com or they can look me up on LinkedIn, Patrick McFadden Marketing. Um, and they can find me on Instagram at pmcfadden7. P. McFadden 7. Okay, awesome. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this. Oh, no, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you check it out you'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts or you can go to my website tysonfranklin.com mr hayes's office how may i help you andrea it's marilyn over at kennedy parker construction hello marilyn would you like me to connect mr parker to a fish surrounded by sharks a secretary cursed by desire and ambition introducing the diarist by donna barrow green the Diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you very much. You look very pretty just as you are right now. Oh, well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why? I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader. (laughs) 